Hey, it's so good to see you all this morning. Are you glad to be with just a few other Christians today? If you are, through your masks, let me get a big, oh yeah. Now, listen, I'm going to need your help this morning. Here's what I need your help with. Sometimes it can get very lonely up here. So what I need you to do is let me know that you're here this morning. So here's a, here's a few options. One option is you can just sort of stand up and do this little number if you just need to, okay? Now, now, maybe you don't want to. A more sedate version of that could simply be an amen. Or John, thank, John, come up here for a second. Just, just do this for me. Come here. Come stand right there. We'll, we'll social distance. I'm in frame. You're in frame. Just stand right there on that. No, no. Come here. Come here. Come here. So, John, uh, one option could be to, you know, raise your hand, do this little number. This is the window washer praise. There you go. Just a little window washer. Uh, option two would be just a big amen. Amen. Okay. Another one could be mm-hmm. See, that one works for two things. You either agree with what I'm saying or you're thinking about lunch. And so there's some good options here, but help me out here. Thanks, John. Appreciate it, man. This morning, we're going to get together and we're going to just have some fun, okay? I I want you to know that one of the blessings of being a part of the body of Christ is that we get to enjoy family time. And just because we walk through these doors does not all of a sudden sap us of what it means to enjoy life and enjoy the giver of life. In fact, the very first verse we're going to look at this morning is going to say, rejoice in the Lord. Meaning, no matter what's going on, wherever you are, we can celebrate something. And you at home, I'm going to invite you, lean in. Don't just sit there passively. I don't care if you're in your jams with a bowl of cereal. You can lean in and be a part of this. Can I get an amen from those in this room here? Okay. Now, with that said, I've got little time and a lot to say. So grab your Bibles, turn with me to the New Testament book of Philippians. You say, Philippians? I thought we were done. No, we've just been taking one chapter at a time, and this week, for this week and next, just two weeks, we're going to cover the third chapter. And we're going to dive into what I think is going to be a very important teaching for the life of our church. But before I can get there, I want to share with you, well, it's a cheesy um, joke. You guys up for a cheesy joke this morning? Even if you're not, I'm going to tell it, so we're just going to kind of have to go, okay? It's a joke my sister told uh, many years ago, and she, she sort of retold it yesterday, and I was like, oh, that's good. I'm going to use that. So here's the joke. Quick question. How do you put an elephant in a refrigerator? Simple. You open the door, move the butter, put the, fri- the elephant in the refrigerator, and close the door. But um. Okay, let's get, okay, fine. How do you put a giraffe in the refrigerator? You open the door, take out the elephant, put the giraffe in, and close the door. Uh, not getting any better. Uh, there's, there's more here, okay? So the king of the jungle decided to throw a little council with all of the wild animals. One animal was missing. Which animal? The giraffe, he's still in the fridge. Okay, yeah, there you go. It just it doesn't keep... Or how about this one? You're going through the jungle, and you come to an alligator-infested river. You want to get across, but you can't. There's no bridge, no boat, no vine to do your little Tarzan or Jane across, no stepping stones. How do you get across this alligator-infested river? You swim. 
All the alligators are at the animal council with the king of the jungle. That on Folks, this is all I got, okay? But I'll take the courtesy laugh. It, it, honestly, those jokes reminded me of a comment a friend made some years ago. She was trying to make a point, and so she, she asked this, what seems to be the start of a really bad joke. She says, what's the difference between eating an elephant and eating a steak? And I'm thinking, well, that's obvious. One is impossible, and one tastes really, really good. And she said, no. The only difference between eating an elephant and eating a steak is the number of bites to get through it. But you've got to start with one bite for each of them. In other words, the idea and the big point for the next two weeks is simply this. Go ahead and put this up on screen. The idea for this teaching is we've got to start somewhere. Because the fact is, there's a bunch of elephant-sized issues facing us. I don't have to tell you that. You've turned on the TV over the past six months, haven't you? We're halfway covered because of this thing called the coronavirus. Is that an elephant-sized issue facing us? Oh, yeah. There's an economy that is not doing what it once did. Now, we've seen a V-shaped, beginning of a V-shaped recovery, people getting back out, and that's hopeful. But are we where we were back in January? No. That's an animal-sized, an elephant-sized issue. What about this percolating issue of race and racism and all the stuff we're seeing around our nation? Is that an elephant-sized issue? I mean, how do we deal with this? And maybe you think, Josh, I don't have to think beyond the front door of my own house to see elephant-sized issues. I don't have to tell you the issues that you face. You know what they are. You know the stress you face as a parent. You know the loneliness you face as someone who's lost a spouse or a friend. You know the struggle it is to make ends meet. You know what it's like to deal with those things in your past, the things that you thought you put to rest, but they just keep coming back up. They keep showing their ugly face. You and I both know about elephant-sized issues, but here's the point. Here's the point. What Paul is going to talk to us about this morning is that we have got to start somewhere. The way forward is to start somewhere. In fact... You'll never get anywhere unless you start somewhere. You will never get anywhere unless you start somewhere. And here's the reality. The reality is often the hardest step is the first step just to get started. My goodness, I hate working out. Anyone else hate working out? Oh, I got a double hand raised back here. I feel like I'm at an auction house right now. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. But I'll tell you, the worst step, the hardest step is not the second mile or the third mile. It's not the weights. It's none of that. It's the first step getting out of bed in the morning. But once I can get out of bed and take that step, oftentimes the next step is easier and the next step and the next step. And so what Paul is going to say, real quick, are you ready? Here's the two main points. You can go to sleep after I tell you this. Are you ready? Paul's big two points from these first 11 verses that we're going to hear in a moment read is you've got to start by calling out and calling on. Calling out and calling on. You say, what does that mean? Well, we'll look at that in a moment, but first, let's look at the text. My good buddy, Elijah, or I, uh, yeah, Elijah Yancey, forgive me there, he's going to read it. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Elijah Yancey. And today we are going to be reading Philippians 3, 1 through 11, 
Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, and those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. <laughs> Guys, can we thank Elijah for reading that this morning? He's watching right now. We, can you just join me in thanking him for that? Thank you, Elijah. By the way, today is Elijah's ninth birthday as well. And so we love you, Elijah. We think the world of you. Thank you for reading that this morning. Now listen, Paul is saying in this passage these two things, call out and call on. Let's start with this one, call out. Did you hear Paul calling out some things in this text? Notice how he begins there. He has two pejorative statements because Paul is absolutely amped up. You say, why is he amped up? He is amped up because he can't stand when anyone looks to their achievements, what they do as a basis for God loving them or not loving them. He cannot stand it, and so he's going to call it out. And he begins with two pejoratives. The first one is he calls a group of people dogs. Notice what he says. He says, watch out for those dogs. Now listen, if you're a dog lover, like every godly, Christ-honoring person is... 
If you are a dog lover, then you read this, you go, what's the big deal? I, 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 I like Scooby. What's the problem with dogs? The problem is, is when he says dogs, what comes to mind is not some cartoon character, but the mangy, flea-bitten, disease-infested pack of wild animals that would roam the streets, eating garbage, defecating everywhere. They would even dig up dead bodies, eating on them. And if they saw you, they would often attack and bite you as soon as look at you. And Paul says, watch out for those dogs, those biters, those Inflictors of pain. You see, this was a phrase used by the Judaizers, those hyper-religious, as a, as a slur towards non-Jews. And Paul says, that's a term you use talking about others, but now I'm calling you that because the way you live is destructive. It is evil. It is mutilation of the flesh. Now, he's talking about circumcision here, but ultimately it comes down to this idea that it is an act that ultimately does not bring restoration. It is simply destructive because of the way it is done. He says, you watch out for them. Paul begins by calling out the dogs around him, but he doesn't stop with people outside. How many of us know it is so much more fun and easier to call out the bad behavior of others but it's much harder to call out the bad behavior in ourselves. Is there anyone else in here who's much better at seeing the faults in others? Anyone else who just has like a magnifying glass for other people, but when it comes to ourselves, we're sort of like the Teflon man, nothing sticks to ourselves. And so Paul, he, he says, I, I'm not going to just talk about the dogs. He then turns the table and focuses on himself. And did you notice now? He says, I'm going to list all the stuff I got. And at the end of it, he makes this statement. He says, I consider all this stuff that he's listed, his resume, his achievements, everything else. He says, I consider them rubbish, rubbish. Now, do you guys want to learn a Greek word this morning? Say yes. Okay, good. Thank you. Here's the Greek word. This word rubbish, or in the text you saw read, garbage, comes from the Greek word skubalon. Everyone here, and if you're at home, join in with saying us. We're going to say scubalon on three. Are you ready? One, two, three. Scubalon. Congratulations, Greek scholars. Scubalon. You say, what does this very big word mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. It means garbage, sewage. If you're in the Diggs house, potty business, trash, refuse, dog dung, and yes, it even means that other word. It is a word of what is the filthiest thing you can imagine. And Paul says it is rubbish. He uses this word to shock the hyper-religious out of their stupor and to begin calling out the rubbish in their lives. He says you have got to call out the junk in your life. And notice, I think for many of us, we kind of get this. We know what the rubbish is in our lives, don't we? I mean, you know the areas of your heart. I know the areas of my heart. We know the things that we ought not do. We know about the toxic relationships that we're engaged in. We're aware of the unhealthy attachment that we get involved with and where we just feel connected to things that really aren't healthy for us. We we know about the manic spending, the manic worrying, the manic image management. We know about that. And the truth is, hey, listen, I'm human as well. We all know the dark places that our heart goes when we're scared, stressed, or frustrated. And we all know that ongoing battle of making progress only to slip back. Listen, I get it. But I believe Paul is not simply saying, call this out 
to cause us to feel shame or guilt, but he says you got to start somewhere, and I believe that the gospel wants to liberate you and liberate me and have a different way of living where we live freely and lightly in the joy of the good news of Jesus Christ, that it's not about what you've done or I've done, but it's about what Jesus Christ has done. And Paul wants us to first call out the junk to be serious about it. Listen, he, I think if Paul were here, he'd say, call it out. And take it seriously. He does not mince words because we cannot mince words with things that can destroy us or that are not worthy of your time, effort, or energy. Call it what it is. Here's a real simple thing to do. If you see something in you, say something about it to yourself. Call it out. Be honest with yourself. Don't mince words. Don't play games. But claim those areas that are not the way they ought to be. He says, if you need to start somewhere, and how many of us in here don't need to take a next step? But if you're ready to take your next step, it starts not by complaining about everyone else. It doesn't start with complaining about politics. It doesn't start with complaining about this issue or that issue or that situation. It starts with saying, I'm going to call out the rubbish in my own life. And I'm not going to call it good when it's really bad. I'm going to call it what it really is. But do you notice something curious? Paul does not call inherently bad things rubbish in his list. So we get what is inherently bad that, that we should not engage in those, call those out. But he doesn't call out bad things as rubbish. He lists all of his achievements and says, those things are rubbish. I mean, did you hear the list of pedigree? His religious resume is impeccable. If I were to break it down to you simply, he basically said this, I grew up in a great Christian home. I got a great Christian education. I have the bumper sticker of my school on my van. Hello. And I loved it. I went to a great Christian school. I got a great bachelor's degree, master's degree, doctorate at this school. And not only that, I was the most disciplined in doing the right things. I didn't make mistakes. I was zealous for God. I would go on the mission trips. I would show up to church. I would give a tenth. I would serve. I would care. I did all these things. Now, I guess we could argue when he gets to that point where he says that he persecuted Christians, but we might say, eh, missed a part. But on the other hand, if you're like Paul, you'd say, no, that was symbolic of my devotion because I was so devoted to God. I even attacked people who I thought were opposed to God. He's the equivalent of the guy that you see on Facebook who sends you that forward and says, forward this or you don't love Jesus. <clears throat> That's what's going on here. And he says, but all of that, the stuff that I took such pride in, oh, oh wait, there's the issue, isn't it? See, I think Paul's issue here is not to say don't do the right things, don't enjoy the fellowship of the saints, don't serve, don't give. That's not what he's saying. Rather, he's saying that these things that once were good things, he used them as a means of looking at how great I am compared to everyone else, and it puffed him, uh, himself up. In other words, the thing that was to draw him to greater joy in God became poisonous and caused him to be proud in himself. Do you see what he's saying here, family? He says, look, call out the evil things and call out those things that may be good, but they're causing you to be proud of yourself. Unless we start here, we can't get anywhere. The reality is, though, is Paul is not saying just call this stuff out. 
He wants to invite us into something so much better because here's the fact. All of us are susceptible to this, aren't we? Is anyone else just prone to being proud in themselves? Anyone else like Josh who struggles with thinking of themselves sometimes better than they ought to? Or anyone in here who has something in their life, but we don't want to call it what it is. We kind of dress it up with pretty words. It's an indiscretion. Always a mistake. He says, no, 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 you call it out because he says, I want to invite you into taking a next step. You got to start somewhere. You got to clean this out. But, but here's the problem. Once you clean it out, what do you do with all the junk? A quick question, show of hands. How many in here have uh, what you would call a junk drawer somewhere in your house? Anyone like Josh have a drunk junk drawer in your house? We've got some honest people here. I love it. I love it. At home, do you have a junk drawer in your house? Okay. How about this one? How many of you would say, I don't have a junk drawer. I have a junk room. A- anyone else have a junk room? I-, I got it. Oh, man, I got the Pentecostal wave back there. I love it. Okay, yeah. So some of you are going, I don't know what that is. Okay, we'll tell you later. Okay. Or, or what about, okay, you don't have junk drawer, junk room. How many of us will be just honest? That it's not the drawer, the room, but the whole house is getting full up. And we know once it gets to a certain line, you've like put a chalk line across the walls in your house. And when it gets to this line, you're getting a for sale sign and just going to leave. We got junk drawers, don't we? What do you do, though, once you empty the junk out? See, Paul says, Start by calling out the rubbish, but listen, if you only call it out, you're left with a mess. What do you do? And I love our brother Paul, who knows what it's like to both have done the right things and the wrong things, and to say, call it out. Don't pretend that it's good when it's bad, but don't stop there. Start somewhere and start by calling out, but then he says, and call on Jesus. You say, what does that have to do with calling out? And what do you do with? Here's what it has to do with everything. He says, everything I've ever done is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus and having fellowship with him, knowing his suffering and being conformed to him, having the resurrection from the dead. Unless something dies in me, I'm not going to fully live. But the only one who can bring resurrection is Jesus Christ. You call out the rubbish, church, and then you call on the one who can clean up the mess. Jesus Christ, forgive this silly illustration, but Jesus Christ is the divine Molly Maid. Anyone know who Molly Maid is? They're people you pay to come and clean your house. But here's the difference. We don't pay Jesus to come clean our house. He paid to clean us, and then he did it all. This is what Paul's getting at in verse 1. Did you see what he said here in verse 1 when he says, finally, finally. Now, why does he start the middle of his letter with the ending word of finally? Well, maybe he's like the rest of us preachers who get on a roll and he thinks he's coming to an end, but he's just hitting the midpoint. He's just like, hey, I'm getting geared up here. Maybe that's it. I don't think so. Finally. In other words, what I'm about to say is the bottom line. You end here. But he starts here so you don't miss it, so I don't miss it. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, notice these words, rejoice in what you've done. Is that it? 
Uh, Rejoice in how much better you are than other people. Rejoice in how messed up the world is. Rejoice that no one knows what you've really done in your lives. No, he says rejoice in the Lord. That he is the one that we turn to, that we don't simply call out the garbage, the rubbish we call on Jesus Christ, and we say, my celebration is not in what I've done, it's in him, and there's no one who can cleanse me, fix me, clean me, make me who he wants me to be, and I really, in my heart of hearts, wants to be. He says, finally, rejoice in the Lord. Why? It's a safeguard for you. Rejoicing is the way that keeps us from becoming puffed up or defeated. Here's the reality. When you clean out the junk, what will happen is you'll either begin to say, look how good I am because I cleaned it out. Or you'll begin to look at the junk, the mess, and you'll just go, what am I going to do with all this? I I can't do anything. It's too much. But when you rejoice in him... It reminds you, it trains the heart to say, I can't, but you can. And not only can you, but you did on the cross. He begins here, rejoice in the Lord. It is a safeguard to you. He's saying, you call out the rubbish and you call on Jesus. Let me end with the story and we'll be done this morning. I've shared this before, but after college, some friend or a buddy of mine, my best friend, Mark, We took a road trip around the country, and this was one of those great trips, got to see a lot of the country. We camped under the stars, had a few close encounters with bears, had a couple with moose as well, well, not moose, I guess, but elk or something weird with antlers, but there was this one moment that I remember about halfway through the trip, we're in San Diego, and we go out to the beach. It was a beautiful day. The waves were fantastic. We had a couple of these little boogie boards, and we decided we're going to get out on the water, Now, it didn't occur to us until later that there was no one on the beach. But we hopped in, we got on the water, and we were out playing, having a good time. And about an hour and a half into our time or so, I look, and there's this fuzzy-looking sea creature. I don't know what it was. You know, maybe it was a seal or some really hairy merman. I don't know what it was. But it was out about 30 feet past where I was, so I started to paddle out to it. And just as I'd get closer, it'd move further away. And so I'd get out and move further away and farther and farther until I was far distance from the shore. And I realized that I was getting a little tired, so I turned around to go back and I began to paddle. But five minutes in, I, I wasn't making any headway. Ten minutes, a little bit, nothing, nothing. Fifteen minutes, I get scared because I'm getting tired. And I realize not only am I trying, but I'm getting pushed further from the shore. And I don't know what to do. My friend who's out on the shore is one of my best buddies. He sees me struggling, and he gets on his board, and he paddles out to me. Now, I don't know what good that was going to do either of us. Now we're both going to drown. So not a great move, but the fact is he loved me, wanted to be with me. And I just got to tell you, he's a good friend. But a friend coming out to you in need is not going to save you because your friend is not equipped for saving you. And we're out there another number of minutes. And I just remember in this moment thinking, oh no, I'm going to die. I've got a beautiful girlfriend that I want to marry one day. Her name is Lindsay. Ah, and I'm going to die, be fish food. And just then, out on the beach is this man. He had this massive manly beard and these red shorts. And he's hammering in a sign that says, don't go in the water. There is a riptide today. And we're like... Really? An hour earlier would have been helpful. 
<laughs> so we start to wave at our Baywatch buddy, and all of a sudden he sees us, and it's the most glorious moment, this man in red swim trunks running on the beach. And he comes out, and he grabs us, and he brings us both back to shore, and I'm laying there on the sand thanking God for my life and for this man who brought salvation from the water, and it occurred to me what my friend could not do because he was not equipped to do. What I am not personally equipped to do, and that is save myself, there is another who is equipped for the salvation, not of a person in the water, but for all of humanity throughout time and space, no matter what you've done, where you've been, no matter the guilt you carry or the shame you feel, he says, you call out that rubbish and you call on the Savior to liberate you from what ails you. This is where it begins. And I am absolutely convinced if a radical revival is to begin, not only in the city, but in this church, if the power of the Holy Spirit is to be unleashed and we are to live in the humble power of God Almighty, then it is going to begin with His people refocusing their gaze on the good God and Savior Jesus and saying, I can't, but I, like Paul, want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. Share in his suffering, conform to his death. Oh, God, that I would know him, the one who can save me and who will give me the next, next, next step until the last step is to see him face to face in eternity. You've got to start somewhere. And this is where he invites us to.